There's a new craze sweeping across our nation. No, it's not the latest tech gadget or getting rid of straws and styrofoam. It's called Drag Queen Storytime, and it's coming to a public library near you. You heard me right. There's a trend among librarians across our nation to have and host these story times with drag queens. Now, if you thought that we had reached the limit or the height of our moral insanity, as Americans, we seem to push the envelope further and further. It is now popular in our culture to have our children read by men dressed in full drag. Some of these readings even highlighting the freedom for children to dress and drag themselves. While we don't have the time to really dig deep into this particular matter and its horrible situation, it does illustrate for us the current cultural climate in regard to sexual licentiousness and promiscuity. Why would anyone want to highlight this particular perverse nature? Well, friends, it's the same reason why you see sexualized advertisements every time you turn on the TV or search on the Internet. You see, our culture's attempt is to normalize sexual sin. You see, if you do it enough and you have it in the conversation enough and it's around you enough, it becomes normal just becomes a part of everyday life. For many of you, the conversations that seem so striking for many of the younger generation, just about living in a culture that is truly obsessed about sex and sexuality. What was once regulated to the fringes of society, like dressing in drag, has now been moved to center stage, or in our case, the local library. In an attempt to influence an entire culture, we know the best way to do that is to start with children. If you can ingest these type of ideas in the smallest, then it will be proliferated throughout the whole of society within a single generation. But what does that have to do with our passage this morning? Well, friend, I want us to see that, that when you normalize sin... In other words, when you talk about it enough and you rub up against it sufficiently enough, then you tend to normalize it even in the Christian life. It's just being sinners and, well, and I think equally that when you and I truly understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and the culture we live in, I am not a defeatist. I believe that Jesus reigns victorious. That regardless of what the sexual revolutionaries are trying to do in our culture, I do believe that God is still at work calling sinners to salvation, even those who are dressing in drag and doing other sorts of sin. We, as Christians, need to understand that when God saves, He's saving people like that like you and I, who are broken in many ways. But I think particularly in a culture that is saturated and infected, you and I are probably infected too. In these particular ways, in the fabric of our society, that when one is saved by Christ, they must abandon their former ways. To say one living in our culture is unaffected by sexual uh, changes and sexual revolutionaries over the last 50 years, I believe, is naive at best. If you think that you are not affected by this culture, you, brother or sister, need to wake up this morning and to see how perhaps you've normalized sin in your life. Just seeing these type of sins is just a, just a part of being an American. 
But in Christ, we will learn today that we have been set free to live a new life, a life of purity and holiness, empowered by the work of the Spirit. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been thinking about this theme of walking. Uh, Paul uses this word walking to describe the characteristic of the Christian life. It's a verbal idea. One's walk is one's character. And we've been thinking that our lives must be characterized by new ways, modeled after Jesus Christ. So in chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul began the chapter by saying, walk worthily of your calling. In other words, your call, this high call in Christ that he spent all of the first three chapters thinking about, our eternal election, how God has eternally called sinners to salvation, this is a tremendous thing, that our lives should match this calling. In other words, the the ethical... um, Standard that Paul is putting forth in chapters 4 through 6 is act like who you are. You are a new creation in Christ. The old is dead. Behold, the new has come. Therefore, act like it. Act like what you are. And so Paul has been pairing themes throughout walking, uh, by walking by changing your clothes. So he used the theme of putting off and putting on. So we've spent a few weeks thinking about how you and I are to take off our old ways and to put on new ways. And Paul also has been warning us throughout that if we do not put off our old ways, that we have no hope of eternal life, that judgment still remains and God's wrath is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And so here Paul has warned us that if we do not do it, we have no eternal life. Well, once Paul has finished this warning, he now changes his metaphor. He's moving from the changing clothes metaphor to the darkness and light metaphor. And so this morning, we're going to be kind of shifting gears a bit and thinking in different terms. Rather than changing clothes, now we're thinking about living in the light. That we were once in darkness, but now we are called to light. This theme of darkness and light, we will see, uh, will serve to describe the Christian life. We're to put off the dark ways that once characterized us by embracing the light, by living in the light, by living an exposed life before God, because we've been brought into the kingdom of light. Well, let's consider this this morning in Ephesians chapter 5. I invite you to turn there if you've not already. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading in verses, verse 7 uh, down through verse 14. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. What is Paul's point? I've summarized it in this way. Christians are to live as adopted children of God by avoiding works of darkness and living in the light. The main exhortation of the passage is quite straightforward, isn't it? It comes there in verse 8. Walk as children of the light. Christians' lives are characterized by light living, holy living, not unholy living. And so the purpose of our time this morning is to exhort us to pray for the power of the Spirit to empower us to run to the light, to, to fight against the natural temptation because of our fallen nature to want to hide in our sin rather than to live in the light. And so Paul outlines three ways we are to live as children of light. 
Three ways we are to do that. First, we are to walk in the light by not partnering with those in darkness. We are to walk in the light by not partnering with those in darkness. The second way we are to walk in the light is by pleasing the Lord. Paul describes the manner in which we are to walk in the light. That is by pleasing the Lord. We're to do things that that please him. And then thirdly, we are to walk in the light by exposing works of darkness. Exposing works of darkness. These are the three ways we want to think this morning about walking in the light. First, in verses 7 and 8, Paul exhorts us to walk in the light by not partnering with those in darkness. By not partnering with those in darkness. Look with me there at verse 7 of what Paul writes. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Do not become partners with them. Now, who does the them refer to? Well, naturally, it refers to the verse just, the, just previously. Let's look there at verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the who? The sons of disobedience. So, so Paul here is saying, do not partner with the sons of disobedience. That is, those that are sexually immoral, impure, or sexually covetous. Those individuals we thought about two weeks ago, uh, those who are marked by sexual sin. Uh, we are not to partner with those uh, who are in sexual sin. Paul's encouraging us here uh, to avoid partnership. Now, partnership implies a, uh, a common goal or a common agreement. Uh, we might partner with someone in business or we might partner with someone in marriage. Uh, this passage is very similar to an exhortation that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians where he tells believers not to marry unbelievers. Did you know that? The Bible forbids Christians from marrying non-Christians. Why? Because our goals, our aims in life, our pursuits in life, who we live for in life are diametrically different. They're opposed to one another, in fact. We serve Jesus. Non-believers serve themselves. And so Paul here in our text is telling us, look, we should not be partners. We shouldn't be getting involved. Now, now does Paul mean that we are to sever all ties with non-believers? No, not at all. Oh, we are called to live in the world, not like the world. There's a distinction, a, a difference between partnering, participating in sin and having friends who are sinners. Okay, uh, So Jesus doesn't mean that your only friend should be Christians. Uh, but rather, are you willingly partnering as to participate in sin? You see the difference there? Uh, to participate in sin. There are some partnerships that might lead to sin. So, for example, you might partner with a businessman or a businesswoman who has a practice of cheating on their taxes. And you might be tempted to go along with them. You can see why partnership in that way would be dangerous. Uh, one scholar commenting on this particular uh, passage writes this. Paul's point here is that full participating in the worldview and conduct of unbelievers in matters of sex and money is incompatible with membership in the people of God. Incompatible. It doesn't match. It, you, 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 don't even, you don't even agree. It's apples and oranges when it comes to participation and partnership. And so Paul here says, don't partner with them. Don't engage in those who are in darkness. Now, really quickly, I want us to make sure we understand what Paul has in mind here with the word darkness. Paul clearly means, and the Bible uses this from Old to New Testament, darkness as a metaphor for sin. Dark, sin. Light as a metaphor for what is good and right. And so you see passages throughout the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament scriptures, referring to God as light. So for example, in Acts 26 and verse 18, Luke records this. That God has called them to open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, 
You see the parallel, the parallelism there in that statement. Darkness is paralleled with Satan. Light is paralleled to God. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Uh, Satan is darkness. And so Paul here is telling us not to partner with those in sin, those in unrepentant sin. Now, in Paul's customary fashion, his style throughout this section has been to begin with a negative command and then follow by a positive command. Uh, don't do this, but rather do this. He, he's done this throughout the whole entire chapter four, five and beyond. Well, notice what he does here. Verse seven. Therefore, negatively, do not become partners with them positively for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Now, I want you to see two things here. First, notice he doesn't say that they were in darkness. But he says they were darkness. In other words, they were not victims of their circumstances living in a fallen world, but rather they were fallen creatures in a fallen world. They were fallen. They were dark. Uh, he is describing us as Christians, right? That once we were dark, our lives were characterized by a desire, insatiable desire for sin. That's what it means to be fallen. Our nature is corrupt. We can't do good, though we, we can do some good. Even our good deeds, the Bible says, are tainted. And so Paul here positively in this passage says, be who you are in Christ. There's a great contrast presented to us in this passage that at once you were this, but now you're this. In other words, this is that ethical exhortation to summarize all of the New Testament. Be who you are in Christ. Be who you are in Christ. Notice what he says there. This isn't who you are, but now you are light in the Lord. You're light in the Lord, he says. In the Lord, through the realm of Christ's rule of your life. This is similar to what he writes to the church in Colossae. In chapter 1 and verse 13, that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Praise God, right? You see, the gospel is better than that. Let me just say, let me say it again. God doesn't just free us from sin, but he delivers us to a better way. God doesn't just forgive sin. He credits us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ and promises to make us holy. And so Paul writes there in Colossians 1.13 that God's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In other words, ownership is just changed. Once you were owned by Satan, once you and I lived for the domain of darkness, but now we're under new management. Now we're in a new kingdom with a new king, and that king is Jesus. This is a glorious thing. And so as Christians, we are living in light of the lordship of Jesus Christ and living out of this new identity we have in Christ. Well, this is what Paul is after here. It is, it is diametrically different and opposed for us to participate in sin. We're doing things that we aren't made to do anymore. We have a new life in new ways. And so as Christians, we are to live a life characterized by holiness. Brother, sister, is your life characterized by, by avoiding those in darkness? Or do you find yourself regularly being around and being given into the sins of others? Friend, one way that you can respond to this passage this morning is just evaluating, how am I partnering with sinners? Are there particular relationships that, that are leading me to sin in my life? Am I getting too close to a coworker or, or a neighbor? Is there some in my life that are non-Christians that are particularly leading me to temptation and sin? Oh, friend, this is a time for you to turn from that and flee those partnerships lest you fall into darkness. So let us avoid those. We see, secondly, in this passage, not only are we to not partner, notice what he writes as the main exhortation, 
there in verse 8, that we are to walk in the light by pleasing the Lord. Paul continues there in verse 8 in the second half. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Live a life, he says, characterized by the light. Well, in order to live something, to, to have our lives sort of patterned or characterized by the light, we kind of need to know what the light is, right? We need to think and meditate more on what is the light. Well, consider just a couple passages here. First, in John 8, uh, very, John uh, loved this metaphor of light and darkness. Uh, Paul uses it, but of course, John makes it probably more prolific and popular. John eight twelve, he writes, Again, Jesus spoke to his disciples saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So light is life. You see the connection there that Jesus is making? In other words, Jesus is saying that walking in the light is life giving. That walking in the darkness is death giving. You see, so often when we are in sin or tempted to sin, we are tempted to believe that sin leads to life, right? If I could just have this, then I would be satisfied. If I could just do this one thing, I know it's wrong, but it's so good. Understand that that's the great deceiver. He's deceiving you to think that sin leads to life. But Jesus comes and clarifies for us that no living in the light leads to life. And the life that, Paul, that Jesus here is speaking of is eternal life. That living in the life, light leads to eternal life. Well, again, in John 12, Jesus says this. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. In other words, Jesus says that the light is not only life, the light is me. I'm the light. Jesus describes himself. And so to live a life characterized by the light means to live a life characterized by the holy life of Jesus Christ. Jesus is our model. He is who we follow. And so in order to understand what it means to walk in the light, we need to go and see, well, how did Jesus live? Well, Jesus, as we heard last week in, in Pastor Rod's sermon, Jesus had a, a, a desire, and that desire was to obey his heavenly father. There was this sort of uh, model in Christ's life to live in obedience to his father. And so for us, the question for us is, do we want to obey the Father? Do we want to walk as children of the light? We see here in the passage that Paul gives us a further understanding of what it means to walk in the light. Uh, what are the things that we need to do? What should we do? Well, let's look at the character here in verse 9. In verse 9, Paul says that the fruit of the light, that is, what results should we see evident in the life of of believers who walk in the light. What are the things that we should see popping up in their life? Well, he names three of them there, doesn't he? Look at them. First, all that is good. Second, all that's right. Third, all that's true. Well, these three words are not new to us in this letter. All of them have, have really found their way throughout it. Good, well, that first came up there in chapter 2 in verse 10. When Paul wrote that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good. For good works. All that is good. Goodness. Those things that are good. Those things that are morally praiseworthy. Those things that the, that the Proverbs often point to. The, 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 the good way. The good life. Well, the second word there is the word righteousness. The word right, righteousness, right living, right living, opposed to wrong living. What is right? Living a righteous life modeled after the righteousness of Christ. Uh, this, again, has been a theme that we've seen throughout, that we have been saved. This is why, for example, Paul prayed that they would know the love of Christ in that prayer in chapter 3. Because he wanted them to understand the righteousness of Jesus Christ, particularly demonstrated in his love, 
that they also would be known for their love for one another. Well, in that third fruit, the, the sort of third characteristic of walking in the light is true. It's true. Now, truth has showed up here back in chapter 4. Look with me there in chapter 4. Um, so as you look at chapter 4, it's kind of popping up all throughout this entire section. Um, one, we could point to verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak, what? The truth? In other words, one of the ways you walk in the light is by telling the truth. But not only telling the truth, it's believing the truth. Walking in the light means you believe the truth about sin. You believe the truth about what God says is sin. You see, so often we are tempted to take... Friend, nobody is questioning in our society that the Bible isn't explicit about particular sin, in, in our context, sexual sin. What we're basically saying is, yeah, I know the Bible says that, but I love sin more than I love my Savior. You see, walking in the light is believing the truth about sin. And as we'll see in a moment, seeing sin for what it really is. Part of walking in the light is is clarifying what sin does to the soul of human beings. And being honest about that. Being honest to yourself about the devastating effects your sin is causing upon your own soul. And so walking in the light means that we pursue what is good, right, and true. Paul continues in verse 10 to not only give us the characters, but to give us the manner of walking in the light. He continues there in verse 10, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. In other words, Paul clarifies, he he makes clear what he means by walking in the light. He says, I want you to walk in the light by pleasing the Lord. The aim of walking in the light isn't merely for us to be in the light, but for us to please God. In other words, when you pursue holiness, you are worshiping God. You want to approach your pursuit of holiness in that way, as an act of worship. Do what is pleasing to the Lord. This is similar to what Paul wrote in Romans 12. In verse 2, he writes this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Well, notice what he writes here. Verse 5, excuse me, chapter 5 and verse 10. He writes, and try to discern what is pleasing, excuse me, to the Lord. Try to discern. It's the word that means test that he uses there in Romans 12. Test. Try to understand. Seek to know. Be a diligent student of what pleases the Lord. Oh, friend, if you've been married, you know that that's the the, the aim of a spouse, isn't it? The aim of a spouse in in marriage, one of the fun things about marriage is trying to discern what pleases the, the other spouse. Learning about them and learning, you know, what their favorite ice cream is or their favorite activity and doing those things, right? We would be a fool, man, if we uh, pursued that the opposite way, did everything they hated to do. Right? No, what it means is that we're to do what pleases them. And, and one, of the, one of the great things about being a follower of Christ is studying the Scripture, not out of drudgery, but out of delight, because when we study out of delight, we know what pleases the Lord. When you read your Bible, do you read with that aim in mind? I want to find out today what I need to be doing that will give God glory and please him. That's why we read our Bible. To clarify, to discern, to help us understand. That's what the whole book of Proverbs is about. The whole book of Proverbs is about trying to understand what is the will of God. Friend, the will of God isn't for you to go stand and look up at a blue sky and say, man, I wonder what God's will is for my life but rather to go to the scriptures 
and they're mine out, all that pleases the Lord. You find things like God loves not sacrifice, but obedience. So if you're pursuing God and saying, you know, I'm going to you know, have this regiment, legalistic life, and, you know, I'm going to sacrifice, and I'm going to work hard, God's going to be like, no, I'm not impressed by that at all. What I want you to do is obey me. Obey my commands. That's what pleases me. You'll, you'll find things that, that, that please God. And so Paul here is exhorting us to, to meditate, to think about those things that give God a smile. That's not wrong to think that way. It's not self-centered to think that way. Our God loves to be pleased by his people. Friend, are you living a life that's pleasing to God? One of the greatest ways you could apply this passage is by putting that question in your daily vocabulary. Is this activity pleasing to the Lord? Would participating in this particular thing please God? Would saying this thing please God? God knows all. He sees all. You, you, you might have been deceived to think that God doesn't see you in your sin. Perhaps you've been wrongly taught that God can't see when you're sinning. That's, that's not right. God is all-knowing. He knows your thoughts. He knows your deeds. He knows when you have those sinful thoughts against another person. He knows when you do those sinful deeds that are done in secret. The question is, though, for you, will you walk in the light by pleasing the Lord? Every day, beginning your day, today I want to please you. Holy Spirit, I pray you would empower me to walk in the light that I might worship God by my obedience. Christian, let us live a life characterized by holiness, which is a life characterized by pleasing the Lord. Our aim in our lives, in our gatherings together, in our interactions with one another should be God's pleasure and our good. Third and finally here we see that we are to walk in the light by exposing works of darkness. By exposing works of darkness. Uh, Paul continues into somewhat of a naughty area and so let's take a few moments thinking about it here. Paul continues. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now, Paul is repeating what he said in verse seven. Uh, there's not much distinction. I, I would be hard pressed to make much distinction between partnership and participation. Uh, the, the ideas of those words really are similar, partnering and participating. And so Paul here, again, enters into a negative command, do not participate, but rather expose, expose. And so what we want to think about is exposing sin, exposing. What does Paul mean that as Christians, we are not to participate in darkness, but rather expose them? The them in the passage here, I believe, is the same them in verse 7 that we talked about earlier. That is, sons of disobedience. So Paul is not about particularly exposing sin, but exposing sinners. So I'm going to be clear. I may have not been so clear there just a second ago. Uh, Paul here is saying, do not partner with sons of disobedience, but expose them. Expose them. This, again, is a theme that Paul teaches throughout the New Testament, that the night is far gone, for example, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of life. Or again, in 1 Timothy 5.20, as he teaches young Timothy as he's pastoring the church in Ephesus, he says, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Or in 1 Corinthians 5.9, a passage I referred to earlier, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with any sexually immoral people. In other words, he didn't mean you couldn't have friends that were sexually immoral. He meant that don't lead them to be deceived into thinking they're going to heaven when they're living in unrepentant sin. 
And so Paul here is, is again describing to us how we walk in the light. We walk in the light by exposing works of darkness, not reveling in them, not participating in them. In other words, the, the, the aim is not only to please the Lord, but one way we please the Lord is by getting the flashlight out and shining a light on those living in darkness. Well, how do we do that? Well, how do we do that? Well, before we get to the how, let's look at the why. Look at verse 12. There's the why. Why should we be exposing darkness? Why should Christians be actively involved in doing that? Why? Because of the shame of sin. Look at verse 12. For it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. In other words, this is what Paul says. If it is shameful to even talk about what they're doing, how much more to actually participate in what they're doing? Does that make sense? He's saying, look, it's wrong to even talk, to even like, even have a conversation about some of the things that are going on. How much more if you, as a child of the light, are participating in those things? He's saying, do you understand how shameful that is? In other words, it doesn't even register on the scale of shame. It is truly shameful to sin, isn't it? We can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and see that in, when Adam and Eve fell from their state of innocence, what entered into their hearts but shame. They ran and hid themselves because they were ashamed of their sin. How often are you ashamed of your sin? When you sin, bring shame. But you know what happens when you sin repeatedly? That shame goes away. And a hard heart enters in. And callous begins to work over your heart. And sadly, you're not ashamed anymore. This is what we see happen to unbelievers all the time as they're driven deeper and deeper into sin. Peter O'Brien commenting on this passage writes this about shame. That God utter, utterly repudiates these sexual sins but desires to convey their seriousness without mentioning the details of depravity. Paul and his friends knew what they were and he would not dignify them by naming them. Instead, he wants the light of the gospel to shine through the reader's lives and expose these dead deeds for what they are. In other words, sometimes when you talk about something a lot, you tend to dignify it. Uh, you, you tend to not only normalize it, but you dignify it. I'm so thankful for scholars that regularly talk about some of these things in our culture. Dr. Al Mohler is one of them. And, and often in his regular podcast, he'll say, you know, I'm not going to mention this person's name. Or I'm not going to mention what they're doing because I don't want to dignify their sin. That's a godly brother being wise to his, his listeners. He doesn't want their minds to be filled with the filth of this world, even in thought. But the argument here that Paul is making is, is that if we don't want our minds to think about it, how much more do we not want our actions to be involved in it? So Paul gives us the reason why we should expose sin. Secondly, here we see the how. In verses 13 and 14, Paul gives us the how. How do we expose works of darkness? We do it by living in the light. That you and I, you could summarize it this way. When you and I pursue lives of holiness, we are like flashlights exposing darkness. We're little beacons of light. And little beacons of light that walk around town and get in, involved in dark situations with dark people begin to bring light. They begin to lighten things up. Notice his argument here. Look at the argument he makes. But... When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Now, in verse 13, what Paul is saying, he's making a statement about nature, isn't he? He's saying, look, when something, when the light, sun rises, when someone turns on the light, someone lights a candle, when there's light, what happens? 
Things are exposed. There's a revelation happens, right? There's a connection between light and revelation or exposure, right? Uh, we could, we've all experienced this in our, in our, in our day-to-day lives. You know, we uh, are in the middle of the night. We want to run downstairs to the kitchen and get something. And what do we end up doing? We trip on something. We knock into something we can't see because there's no light. But as soon as we turn on the light, we're like, oh, there's a giant table there I walked into. Um, right? It's revealing. We can see where we're going. And Paul here is just stating a general truth. That, hey, when the lights are turned on, things get exposed. Therefore, if we are light, then when we're going around and hanging around other Christians and hanging around non-believers and we're pursuing a holy life, a clean life, it has an effect upon others. It's not a, an over-oversive effect. It's not an effect where we're really, where we think we're doing much, but it has an effect. Friend, you've experienced this in your life, I trust. Uh, when you are around a mature believer, they have an effect upon you. Uh, you may not notice it, but it just slowly begins to affect um, they are, they, the things they talk about. A mature believer is going to talk about more spiritual matters. They're not going to be in the weeds of the world too much. And, and, and you're, you're going to be edified. You're going to walk away saying, man, I feel better having had that conversation with that mature brother or sister in Christ. That's the light exposing darkness or for example you might be hanging around a a faithful brother in christ or sister in christ and and uh, they begin to talk about maybe finances and the way where they spend their money and the way they try to be generous and and and, you know though they make you know good money they don't live like they make good money they they live meagerly because they want to give more and and that begins to prick your conscience and that begins to stir your heart about about how maybe you are are holding and coveting and how you're greedy. And it begins to cause you to, to think and evaluate your own heart. You see how that happens? Those who are living in the light helps expose those living in darkness. This is what the believer does. Jesus taught Nicodemus this truth. In John chapter 3 and verse 20 says this, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. In other words, what Jesus teaches Nicodemus is is that uh, you want to know how to affect the brokenness of this world? It's by living in the light. Because you see, this world ain't ever going to come to the light on its own. It's going to require a miraculous thing uh, called regeneration that we thought about earlier, where the Holy Spirit breathes life into dead souls and brings them into the light. Well, he does that through agents of light. You and I, as we live in the light, as you and I live a life of holiness, we expose sin for what it is. We, we tell the truth. Look, you might think that's going to go well in your life, friend, but if you keep going down that road, you will die. It exposes sin for what it is. When you and I are living in a life, we are being honest with ourselves and others that our sin is leading to death. But Paul doesn't finish there. In customary way, he connects all of this to the hope of the gospel. I want you to see hope here. Because this morning, you might be living in sin. You might be in darkness. And you might be kind of worried, like, all right, I'm scared. I'm in darkness. I know I am, but I don't want to come into the light. I don't want to come into the light because, you know what? Everybody's going to find out about some things that I've been doing. And it's going to, I'm going to be ashamed. And and I just don't want to deal with that. And so this morning, you might be convinced that, hey, you know what? Just chilling out in the darkness you know, you're going to be able to deal with your problem in the darkness. Well, you'd be about as dumb as trying to do something in the dark at your house as trying to, do, trying to deal with your soul 
in the darkness. You see, you can't deal with sin when it's in the dark. You got to take it and bring it into the light because it's only when it's in the light, Paul says, that it becomes visible, becomes known. It's exposed for what it is. Sin wants to hang out under the rock. And our job is to keep pulling the sucker out into the light and saying, nah, get out here because it's only in the light it becomes visible. So this morning, you might be tempted. I don't want to bring my sin into the light. I do not want to confess my sins to someone else and tell them that I've been living in the darkness. I'm afraid of what they'll think. Well, friend, here's the hope you have. Because if you confess that to a Christian this morning, they will give you the hope of verse 14. Look at the hope there. For anything that becomes visible is light. You want hope this morning? You don't have to be worried that what Paul says here is the light transforms. The light changes. Anything that is visible is light or it becomes light. In other words, the hope of the gospel is if you will just walk in the light, something will happen to you. You will be changed into light. Therefore, it says, Paul here quoting Isaiah, a couple passages from Isaiah, but here he he quotes Isaiah 60, verse 1. He says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Jesus Christ will shine on you. In other words, what he says is, don't be afraid. Get up and run to Jesus. And his light will shine on you, that eternal life, and it will change you in an instant. Friend, when you're talking to a brother or sister, when you obey that passage from 1 Timothy 5.10, rebuke those who persist in sin. You know, you do that out of love. You call them out. You, pers- you, you call them out and you bring them into light. You say, listen, flee that sin and Jesus will change you. Cling to that sin and that sin will take you to hell. Brother, sister, our hope this morning is that if we come into the light, Jesus will not cast us away. That passage I quoted when we began our service from John 8, 12, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He just got done dealing with that woman who was in an adulterous relationship. Do you not think of anybody who needed to hear a word of promise? Because she had been living a life of darkness. Probably darker than any life that you've ever lived. It was black. Pitch black. And Jesus held out himself and said, come to me and you will have life eternally. And you will not be ashamed anymore. And I will make you new. Christians, our lives must be marked by holiness. We must be at work exposing the works of darkness. Friend, we are Christians who have been adopted into the family of God. And we are to work at pursuing holy lives by avoiding these works of darkness and by living in the light. Brother, are you living in the light? Sister, is there some secret sin that you're hiding Come into the light by not partnering with those in darkness. If you walk in the light, your life will become pleasing to the Lord. And as a result of you coming into the light, you will create a domino effect so much so that those around you who you've been partnering in darkness with will be exposed to the light of the gospel by you. And your life will transform their life because you'll join the rest of us as we expose works of darkness around us. Let this be your daily prayer. Lord, help me to walk as children of light. Richard Koken tells a story about a wealthy businessman. This wealthy businessman bought a new yacht and needed someone to drive him around in it. Must be nice. So this individual held a job there of sorts to test out a few new drivers. 
The first driver took them out in his brand new yacht and drove it fast. And within 500 meters of the coastline, dodging big rocks and showing off his tremendous driving skills. The second man mashed... The second man wowed the crowds as he wove in between the, the breaks and rocks and waves 20 meters from the coastline. The third man came along and he demonstrated tremendous skill in driving. but was slow, took his time and kept a very safe distance from the shoreline, didn't come anywhere near any rocks. When it came to hire the, the driver, the businessman picked the third man, the sort of slow and careful driver. When asked why he chose him, who didn't really show off much tremendous skills, he, he responded by saying that he wanted a driver who would keep him safe and protect him and protect his tremendous asset. Friends, as Christians, we're not to live a life fast and loose, trying to see how close we can get to the rocks, see how close we can get to sin without it destroying us. But we need to understand that we are a tremendous possession. That we are owned by God. And that we are to live a life of holiness that pleases him for his glory and our good. Let's pray. Father, we do pray this morning that you would keep us from darkness. Our nature wants to live in the dark. We have lived in the dark for so long. It feels so comfortable. It feels at home. And perhaps this morning there's someone who's living in dark sin. And they feel at home. They can keep their shame at bay. Their conscience under control. God, I pray that your spirit would so convict them. Bring about such pain in their life. Such sorrow. Such irritation that they would flee the darkness and come into the light. God, I pray you would break our hearts for those who live in darkness. That we would not grow weary, that we would not grow discouraged by a loved one or a family member or a neighbor who we see every day living in darkness. But may we continue to pursue lives of holiness as a means to bring the light to them daily. And may we trust the Spirit's work that your Spirit will in your perfect way, in your perfect timing, bring that loved one to the light. That our responsibility is to keep walking in the light, keep living holy and clean lives before you, and trusting the promise that we've considered this morning, that anything that becomes visible is light. May we all be light in the Lord for your glory and our good in Christ. We pray. Amen.